Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. This episode is our fifth in our Basic Doctrine series on the Doctrine of Prophets and Revelation. Our guest on this episode is religious educator Blake Dalton. Before we get to our interview with Blake, I want to read, as a matter of introduction to this doctrine, the portion of the Church's website for Prophets and Revelation. It reads, A prophet is a person who has been called by God to speak for him. Prophets testify of Jesus Christ and teach his gospel. They make known God's will and true character. They denounce sin and warn of its consequences. At times, they prophesy of future events. Many teachings of prophets are found in the scriptures. As we study the words of prophets, we can learn truth and receive guidance. We sustain the president of the church as a prophet, seer, and revelator, and the only person on the earth who receives revelation to guide the entire church. We also sustain the counselors in the first presidency and the members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as prophets, seers, and revelators. Revelation is communication from God to His children. When the Lord reveals His will to the church, He speaks through His prophet. The Scriptures, the Bible, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price, contain revelations given through ancient and Latter-day prophets. The President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is God's prophet on the earth today. Individuals can receive revelation to help them with their specific needs, responsibilities, and questions, and to help strengthen their testimonies. Most revelations to leaders and members of the Church come through impressions and thoughts from the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost speaks to our minds and hearts in a still, small voice. Revelation can also come through visions, dreams, and visitations by angels. Here now is our interview with religious educator, Blake Dalton. Our guest on this episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission cast is Blake Dalton. Blake is a religious educator, and he's here to talk to us about the doctrine of prophets and revelation. This is the next in our series on the basic doctrines of the church. So thank you, Blake, for being here with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, So this doctrine of prophets and revelation is something that may be something that we as Latter-day Saints are very comfortable talking about, but it's kind of something that a lot of people in the outside world, if you will, um, they don't speak of it much. And sometimes if they do, they speak of it with skepticism. So what's your basic understanding of of prophets and revelation and and how those work in in our church? You know, you're right. Like to think of a prophet is kind of that whimsical, sounds like we're talking about like Gandalf or something like that, you know, just (laughs) an old way of thinking because they're in the Bible. But for members of our faith, we're thinking, you know, with the restoration with Joseph Smith and it's a commonplace, but many of them think, you know, that's the old way of thinking or Old Testament or, you know, New Testament kind of thinking, biblical thinking. But prophets are so important. You look through the whole history of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you have, you know, it begins with Adam, it begins in Genesis, and there's prophets throughout all the Old Testament. That's how the Lord's word was established. That's how it was taught. And then when the Savior comes and he's teaching his disciples how to carry on the the gospel as he leaves. That's that's the fundamental aspect of getting his word to his people is through those called servants, those prophets, apostles, and those things. 
And it, it's kind of one of those, if we wanted to get historical on it, we, we could say that there's, there is a lot of evidence of it. There's a lot of evidence of their use. But to a certain extent, it's hard for people nowadays to, to still, even though they can see that history, mm-hmm. to say, yeah, this, that, that makes sense. I, I've been waiting for a prophet. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of one of those weird things. But in, in the, the church's website where they talk about the basic doctrines of, of this, the, they say that there's a, a sentence here that essentially connects in some ways to our last topic, which was apostasy. And they say that they make known God's will and true character. Now, again, we speak of prophets as the ones that make God's will known. We, we, you know, Lord's mouthpiece, we've used that phrase a lot. But what about the true character part? How, in what ways, and why is it important that we have a prophet to explain to us the true character of God? Yeah, so <clears throat> you think about, you know, in the past, like if you go in the Old Testament and there's, you know, I love Elijah and Elijah is trying to, to teach the priests of Baal, you know, the correct, who the correct God is, who, who God is, who the God of Israel is. It's something they've always done. Joseph Smith, one of, one of the go-to quotes that I always use or think about is from the lectures on faith when um, he says there's three things necessary for any rational and intelligent being to exercise faith in God, right? First is the idea that he exists. Second, a correct idea of his character and attributes. And third, knowledge that the course of life one pursues is in accordance with his will. It may be kind of obvious because Joseph taught the correct, you know, he taught us about who he is. You know, through the first vision, we know that they're two distinct beings. It's interesting to look at what he teaches. And then as time goes on in Doctrine and Covenants, he tells us more and more, you know, now he's telling us what he looks like, you know, and, and um, you know, color of his hair and stuff. And, <laughs> you know, and it's, you know, Isaiah does that. Isaiah describes him. John in Revelation describes him. Um, but the attributes, I think... I think if you look at what President Nelson, you know, the challenge that he gave the youth about, um, or the the young single adults and even the youth, but he challenged the young single adults when he was uh, president of the Quorum of the Twelve, and then he challenged the rest of the church again, study the saviors, go through the topical guide, go through all of those things. And you remember, here he is, he's the president of the Quorum of the Twelve, and he says, studying all of these attributes of the Savior in the Bible has changed his life. Yeah. You know, this is him. He's he's asking us to do the same thing, you know, and I think, I think it's one of those things. We have all the information, like not all the information. We have as much as we're ready for right now. And he's pleading with us, understand it better. Yeah. And I think we'll get more if we, if everyone's doing that challenge, you know, we'll get more, but... But his correct attributes and um, who he is, the prophets are always teaching that. They're they're explaining who he is, what he what he does, and and all of that. Um, it's it's powerful to see what a prophet's doing right now to get us to change to change our view. Yeah, I've personally kind of seen the different prophets as a sign of God's character in the sense that he is, as we've seen, a God of seasons. There's mm-hmm. times for things to happen and. He kind of, for lack of a better term, rolls with the punches. Um, <laughs> yeah. he, he sees the world and sees what we need and understands that there's different needs at different times. And the prophet is the way for us to see the character of God in his will. Mm-hmm. And as we, the people, need things to bring us unto him, the prophets enact things that that kind of are 
an example of that. And that can be a challenging thing too, because especially if there's things that we might disagree with socially or, you know, whatever. Correct. Yeah. There, there's things that we see that in some ways the church has been progressive, and in other ways some people don't feel that it has been. And in this particular sense, we see the constancy mm-hmm. uh, through the Lord's prophets. Well, when you think about, like you said, there's all those topics, there's all those things that the the seasons, I guess you would say, and it, I think it's one of those things where detractors, both in and outside of our faith, would say, you know, the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency, maybe they seem like they're just out of touch and they're just right in their ivory tower, not knowing. But when you look over, like you said, like over the course of things and you see the patterns and you see those things, what if we're missing the point? What if we're, maybe this is what, well, I know this is, this is the Lord teaching the people as he's done for thousands of years. And these are, those are his, this, it's this season for that time. And it's, yeah. it's, it can be powerful if you take, you know, the last five, 10 years and just look at what the prophet's. And apostles have have talked about what the first presidency, members of the Quorum of the Twelve, and you start to piece together, um, okay, what's the Savior focusing on right now? You know, you can kind of start getting a picture of of that. It's it's it, it would it's a kind of a good little study to do, and with the internet and the church's website set up the way it is, you can do that and yeah. kind of see that trend. Yeah, and I can't remember who it was that gave me a challenge once, and who knows, it may have been President Nelson uh, <laughs> that said this in conference, but the idea of when you when you go to, through and read the scriptures or general conference talks, to do it with a certain lens. Yeah. And if you go through and you read the scriptures based on what do I see as the character of God being taught in this moment, understanding that it's coming through the filter of whoever's writing, mm-hmm. their impressions, we can begin to kind of triangulate the character and nature of God through through what these prophets have taught. So part of this series is not only knowing what the doctrines are, but how they apply as a doctrine, what makes them a doctrine. And the way that we've kind of set that up is something that has been taught forever and something that's continuing to be taught by the prophets and apostles today, but is also relevant to our salvation. So it may not be so obvious some of those ways that this prophets and revelation speak towards those three things. Mm-hmm. How do those three things come into play? Let's start with been taught since the beginning and will be continued to be taught. How mm-hmm. have prophets and revelation been taught? Boy, you know, I, I'm thinking like since the beginning of time, because, you know, the plan of salvation, heavenly, you know, it's eternal. Yeah. It goes on forever and Heavenly Father's always existed. I think it's established with Adam. Adam's the first prophet. And it's that's just how it's always taken place that. Adam had firsthand knowledge of of our heavenly Father. He's with him in the garden. He's he's walking with him, and then he's sharing that information and that knowledge with his family. And then it moves on all the way to where we're at today. As far as how it works outside of this life, I think it's one of those things. You know, we don't know, but like if you look, we don't know for sure. But you look at like the Book of Revelation, and you know, you learn about the war in heaven and how how things are set up there with the Savior and then Michael, and there's other aspects you can look at. But I think that those leaders and those those prophets are always instrumental in how Heavenly Father has set up the, 
guess you could even say like the council system. That's how it's organized. Yeah. yeah, it's it's organized in that way. If you think how when you look at where Isaiah is called to be a prophet, there's a council, you know, that's calling him the 20 and 4 elders in the book of Revelation where they're sitting around talking about, okay, do we send the angels down to start pouring out this, you know, deadly whatever <laughs> in the book of <laughs> Revelation. But there, it's that council system and however it works down to to the smallest, minutest portion of the human family, I, there's those representatives in all aspects. So it's the order. I think it's the it really order is. of heaven. In yeah. A way. yeah, yeah. I think it's the order. Now, as far as the next part, and that is that that it's something that is taught today. I mean, that I almost want to say that's pretty evident to most people in, mm-hmm. in our faith. But in in what ways might we be able to show that this is still a relevant thing today to people that aren't of our faith? That we need prophets. Yeah. There can be misconceptions. For example, I don't know if you've ever watched the the district, the the oh the the, 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 the church show, yeah. yeah, the episode where the or the, where they follow the missionaries, and it's not it's a documentary. It's not like actors, you know. And there's there's um I I like to watch those, and I I because I think you know I have boys that are almost that age, missionary age, and preparing them, and they're phenomenal. They're on BYU TV and stuff like that. But there's a situation where the missionaries are teaching about prophets, and um, the investigator, the person who's trying to figure out you know, the relevance of it, she keeps thinking, in her mind, she's thinking, I believe I have a personal relationship with the Savior. I can discuss things with the Savior. And the missionary, one of the missionaries is super frustrated because he keeps going to Amos 3.7 and like, this is how it works. This is, you know, yeah. we have to have. But then he's like, I don't th- think you're getting it. You don't have to go to the prophet to understand that you have a personal relationship with the Savior. He's talking to the whole church, and it goes south. She ends up not wanting to learn anymore, <laughs> and he's kind of ornery about it, you know. But um, that personal understanding and personal relationship with the Savior is key. Is is He's involved in our lives, but the way— the entire church functions for the whole entire world. Um, just like in the New Testament, the Savior is instigating that. He's telling his disciples to go baptize. He's sending them throughout the world. And I don't know if there's a clear-cut way to show to people not of our faith the importance when it's a paradigm that they've lived in that, that you don't need that because that's an old way of thinking. But when you look at how the Savior establishes his church, you know, and Ephesians describes you need prophets, apostles, you know, and all these things. I think it takes time. I think it takes time to show that, um, to help them understand, help people understand that. Yeah. And one of those challenges has a lot to do with their personal background. Mm -hmm. Like someone that's Catholic kind of feels a little bit closer to the idea of a prophet because they have the Pope and a structure and they feel that there's some kind of hierarchy to the way that their church is organized. Whereas with someone that's maybe a Muslim, they don't have that kind of a structure. They don't see that as a function of their faith. And so a lot of how we may approach this, I think, has to do with first understanding where they're coming from. Yeah. And if they're if they're feeling like a prophet is the only way to have a connection, then I could see that being very difficult because we are encouraged even in our church to have our own relationship with God and to seek revelation and seek inspiration. So this is the the two separations here I think is important to teach. And that is that there is a there is a prophet and revelation for the church and the world, but yeah. there's also the opportunity that we have individually to seek revelation. And I think that's where we then turn to Moroni's promise and things mm-hmm. where we 
can say, it is through a prophet that we have these scriptures. It is through a prophet that the church was organized, that God's church was organized. And it is through personal revelation that we are then able to take what they have taught and find out for ourselves if it's true and then extend an invitation. It's not a dodge, but it's always trying to make them kind of get back to to that. Now, but here the last part is maybe a little less obvious. Why are prophets necessary for our salvation? Well, that's that's you know, that's one of those things. It's we have that's the order of things. That's how it happens. That's what happens in the church is established in the way that the Lord reveals his will to the prophet and and the prophet reveals it to the rest of the world. And it's up to us to accept it or not. The Savior, when he's talking about the two great commandments, you got to love the Lord and then you've got to love your neighbor. And then he says, if you can't love your brother whom you see, how can you love Heavenly Father or that you don't see? You know. And so I think it's almost a principle and that might be a vague way to to link that, but I think it's a principle of the prophet gets the inspiration and revelation from the Savior. Do we trust him? Do we believe him? And if we can believe and have faith in him whom we can see, you know, then we start having that we can understand and have faith that he is speaking to, you know, speaking for God. Our salvation comes from understanding and following those precepts, listening to the Savior and listening to the prophet as he speaks for him. I don't know if this is going to be like a great way to show other people, like, or at least to convince them. I, I, you know, I'm not sure that scriptures are always the way to convince people mm-hmm. of things, but to kind of illustrate where we're coming from and then invite them to find out for themselves if it's true. We have Doctrine and Covenants section 84, which a lot of people refer to as the Oath and Covenant. And in verse 33, it says, For whoso is faithful unto the obtaining of these two priesthoods, of which I have spoken, and the magnifying of their calling, are sanctified by the Spirit unto the renewing of their bodies. So priesthood is one way that we are able to receive the ordinances that purify us and things like that. Uh, we'll talk about that in our next episode, but we have this idea that priesthood and its ordinances are done under the direction of priesthood keys, the prophet being the one that holds all those keys on the earth. But then this scripture continues to go on and say, And also all they who receive this priesthood receive me, saith the Lord. For he that receiveth my servants receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth my Father, and he that receiveth my Father receiveth my Father's kingdom. Therefore all that my Father hath shall be given unto him. So I think there again is where we have the opportunity to teach the relevancy of priesthood, restoration, and the acceptance and receiving of prophets, their keys and the priesthood, we are receiving God, that we yeah. we can't detach those two things. And that's a very bold, very bold statement to make, but it's one that we're inviting the world to, to pay attention to. Absolutely. You know, that's such a good point because the priesthood is, and I thought President Nelson really knocked it out of the park in the women's session this past conference, um, October. Yeah where he's explaining it to the whole world but to the sisters and saying saying how important the priesthood is and it, and it's you know applies to the home and when he read the questions the temple recommend questions and made you know some of the changes and some of the verbiage changes but he said that do you sustain the president of the church as the one holding who is authorized to exercise all priesthood keys that's that you know if you 
are you following him who's holding the priesthood? And what is the priesthood? It's the power of God delegated to man, and he's the one who delegates. And so, yeah, that um, understanding of going through the prophet and having faith in him that he's talking for uh, the Savior in this day is it's really foreign to a lot of people, but I, I don't think we have to try to prove it in right. s- some aspects. of We don't have to have this debate. It's a spiritual, it's a scriptural, and it's you know revelation that we fill. And in some aspects, we don't have to apologize, but that's how it's been established, and that's what we do. You yeah. know, that's our, our belief. The last line in the basic doctrine on the website for the church says, Revelations can also come through visions, dreams, and visitations by angels. And this is this can be kind of a curious area uh, for some, perhaps even a bit nebulous, but as missionaries going out and sharing the gospel and talking about prophets and revelation, what place do you see for the introduction of teachings about visions and dreams and <laughs> visitations by angels? I mean, yeah. it's, it is part of how our church came to be, at what to what extent is that a safe area to go? Well, we've all been in fast and testimony meeting where we're a little <laughs> nervous when that person gets up and shares those experiences. We're like, oh, yeah, I hope weird, they don't weirdo. Yeah, and 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 we have that chip on our shoulder a little bit because somebody gets up and explains some of that, and we're like, yeah, whatever. And I think a lot of that is don't cast your pearls before swine, so to speak, because I we are we you know the prophet had visions the. You know, he had dreams and even, you know, Sister Nelson is talking about in her recent book and in BYU speeches and other times where she's saying, the spirit tells me that I need to leave the room because it's time for him to talk to the prophet, you know, or she says how there's days where or nights where he used to get up and, and leave the room so he could receive inspiration and it's happening more and more, you know. Um, it happens that um, I have relatives who... I wouldn't say it's necessarily proclaimed, but you know they have the gift of dreams, or they, you know, there's those those kinds of of things that I think happen. I think it's dangerous to toss it out as commonplace, and that's where that's where we can run into some problems. On my mission, I served in Oregon, the Eugene, Oregon mission, greatest mission in the world. But the, you know, in any mission that you go, you're going to run into people who are a little fanaticized with some of those. Yeah. Um, but I think you, when you look at it in the purest form and you can see the truth of it, and then there's the confusing part where there's the just the wild, weird stuff that doesn't make any sense. And we say, you know, is that the same thing when this guy on the corner of the street is shouting out that he's had these visions and stuff like that? Yeah. Is that just, you know, him because he's got a mental illness? And I think it's, I think you have to be careful as you talk about it, but understanding that that it does happen. It's happened in the scriptures. It's more than just prophets that have revelations, that have visions that are visited by angels and things like that. Of course, Elder Holland and Elder Oaks have talked about angels and yeah. and their relevance in our lives. So I think it's something that you need to do. If, if I was a missionary and you know, as a missionary, I had a lot of experiences of trying to deal with it gently and kind of frame it in context of of what it is. If if you're having, you know, it's that true doctrine thing where if you're having an angel shows up in a dream and tells you to do something against what the church has asked you to do, then obviously, you know, you can pick and choose and say, yeah, that's probably not right. 
But I think when you handle it reverently and through prayer and really put it in the context of what's taking place, you can kind of get a better aspect of it. But in today's view, it really is easy to go, yeah, that dude's crazy. Yeah. You know, why would he, why would he bring that up? Well, that's another thing that I think is interesting with respect to prophets is one of the blessings of the modern day scriptures that we've had is this principle of having two or three witnesses to yes. establish God's word. Yeah. And I think that when we talk about people having visions and dreams and things like that, that we have the words of the prophets as a second witness mm-hmm. to maybe what we have experienced or what we've been taught. And so the challenge here too, I think, is is understanding that there are very sacred experiences, as you said, that don't get shared mm-hmm. because they are sacred. But there's also the opportunity that we have to obtain these revelations and triangulate them with what the prophets have said mm-hmm. so that we can know that what we experienced was real. I've had dreams before that were wacky and <laughs> had nothing to do with anything spiritual. And I've had dreams that I thought, was that something spiritual? Yeah. Was that something I should have learned? But I then take the opportunity to say, well, what is the lesson, if there mm-hmm. is one? Mm-hmm. And how does that coincide with what the brethren have taught? Yeah. And if I'm able to do that, then I can say, hey, maybe that was, you know, maybe that was inspiration. And so it's it's really a personal guide for us to have prophets to go through that. Let me give you a, a definition that President Oaks gave. And um, this, is, this is from BYU Speeches. And I was reading this. And it's interesting. It was 1981, and it lists him as, and you know, he's president of BYU, and he's also a Utah Supreme Court justice and stuff. So he's not he's not called as an apostle yet, but he gives eight reasons for revelation. The eight that he sees, he says, to, these are the eight reasons. I he can identify eight different purposes served by communication from God to testify, to prophesy, to comfort, to uplift, to inform, to restrain, to confirm, and to impel. Um, And he goes through and he talks about them in different reasons. But I think that's kind of the lens you can look through some of those is what's what's the point of this? You know, did you just have a vision if you have a dream of of some sort or something like that? You know, or is it because you had meatloaf that night you know and that's just how it's being interpreted <laughs> you know body spitting it out. yeah it's that's the information your brain gets <laughs> angels and meatloaf but it's um i think that that you look through the lens like you're like you said but is is it that second witness you know joseph said um somebody shouldn't be speaking in tongues unless there's somebody there to interpret you know and there's those always those two witnesses of what's being what's being established yeah so, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting too about this idea of revelation and how it might play in our own lives, there is so much that comes out on a day to day basis with respect to what is real. Mm-hmm. And in this particular situation, again, we can't overemphasize the need for an investigator or even a missionary or anyone in the church for that matter to find ways to not take revelation. And let that revelation be in charge of us. Yeah. What I mean by that is there are some people that will say, well, I had this experience, and as a result, how can I not mm-hmm. do this? Well, that's putting the onus on the experience rather than letting it inform our choices. Yeah. And I have heard some people say, well, this was the revelation I had that this and this wasn't true. And instead of 
taking the information and figuring out how to best choose our lives. Some people will use revelation as the scapegoat for why they did something. Yeah. And um, so that that's I think that's part of the function of revelation is to inform our agency. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite quotes that kind of draws in together this concept of agency, plan of salvation, our choices, revelation, all of that stuff. It comes from LeGrand Baker in his book, uh, Joseph and Moroni. He says, freedom to choose can be a reality only when we can distinguish between our choices. If we do not know the source of our ideas, then we cannot know which idea we can trust. Because unless we know the source of the ideas from which we may choose, we cannot accurately predict the consequences. Freedom to guess and freedom to choose are not the same thing. Freedom to guess is being given the right to choose while being denied the criteria upon which one may judge. That is only pretend freedom. It may look like freedom. We may even accept it as freedom, but in reality is a kind of slavery instead. He then goes on to talk about how important the the Holy Ghost is in recognizing revelation as revelation because then we can trust it. If we think we've kind of just learned a little something, but it could just be from our own minds, then maybe we can't fully trust it. Maybe we can. But if we can also identify something that isn't from our minds or even from the Spirit, then we can't trust those things. And the importance of revelation and triangulating things with the words of the prophets and what we've heard and being able to find out the way to choose in harmony with that inspiration is where the greatest freedom comes. And anything else, like he says, is is just a, a guess. And so I think that's the, the real strength of prophets the strength of revelation is trying to find the way that we can come unto Christ and not use this as some kind of guessing game. And there's a, a quote that is used to describe kind of Joseph's feelings when he was first, kind of before the first vision experience happened. And there was this thought that he did not see salvation as something that he could just happen upon. He wanted to know that he was on that path. And when we go into investigator meetings and we're talking to these people, that that is the core of our message, is the church has been restored. We have prophets on the earth, and it's through their words that we are able to come to know God's will and be saved. And to me, I think that is the strongest case that we can make as a restored church for this being a doctrine, something that is critical to our salvation and why they've been around since the beginning of time. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's given us a ton of things to think about uh, with respect to prophets and revelation and how they kind of go hand in hand. I think that's part of it too. We don't want to just teach prophets. We don't want to just teach revelation. They really go hand in hand. And when we teach them together, I think that's when we're going to find the greatest strength in teaching. So thank you for coming in, Blake, and talking with us. I appreciate it. Stay tuned for the next episode in our series on priesthood and priesthood keys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. This again has been part five in our Basic Doctrine series on the doctrine of prophets and revelation. Please stay tuned to future episodes in this series as our next is on priesthood and priesthood keys with our special guest, Jonathan Stapley. Please stay subscribed to this podcast in iTunes or on Spotify. You can also listen to past episodes at ldsmissioncast.com. Thanks for listening.